As we begin this morning, would you keep a finger in 2 Corinthians 3 and turn back with me to Acts chapter 19. We're going to begin this morning with a brief story, very brief story from Acts. In Acts 19, 1 and 2, it says that it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, that Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. Did you know that there's a Holy Spirit? Did you know that there's a Holy Spirit? Would others know that there's a Holy Spirit based on our lives? Would others know that there's a Holy Spirit based on the way that you and I live? I think this is such an interesting little vignette. And I think it's so interesting that this is the first question that's recorded, at least, that Paul has for the disciples there. So these are people who are, uh, it says that they were disciples of John, but, so that they're a messianic community, a subgroup of Jewish people. And the first question that Paul has for them is, did you receive the Holy Spirit? Why is the Holy Spirit so important for the Christian life? Why is the Holy Spirit so important for the Christian life? We have God the Father. We have God the Son. Why would this be the first thing that the Apostle Paul asks of the disciples at Ephesus? Did you receive the Holy Spirit? We didn't even know that there's a Holy Spirit. Why is the Holy Spirit so important for the Christian life? You remember what Jesus said in John 16 before he... Uh, suffered and died and ascended victorious to the Father. He said, I tell you the truth to his disciples. He says, it is to your advantage that I go away. Uh, that's such a hard thing for us to understand. We want more than anything else Jesus to be with us, right? I want to see Jesus. I can't wait for that moment. And Jesus says it's to your advantage. It's, it's better for you and me that he went away so that the Helper, the Holy Spirit, would come to you. He says, but if I go away, I will send him to you. Today is the annual church observation, uh, observance, I mean, of the celebration of Pentecost. So this is after, in the story of the Bible, after Jesus is raised in the sense of the Father, and he pours out his spirit on the disciples there, gathered in Jerusalem, recorded in Acts chapter 2. And so we want to pause for a moment today and think about the Holy Spirit. And specifically, we're going to be looking at the way Paul talks about the Holy Spirit in the, in the book of 2 Corinthians. That's where we've been studying. And so we want to hear what Paul says about the Spirit there. And we're doing this because we want to, we want to live in light of the gift of the Spirit. We, we want to be people who know that there's a Holy Spirit and who live in such a way that something's up Right? That, the, that the Holy Spirit is required to sort of make explicable the manner of life that we lead. All right, so let's go back now to 2 Corinthians. The Corinthian story, the context for, of course, 2 Corinthians is 1 Corinthians. And the story here is pretty interesting because uh, 1 Corinthians is really, the Corinthian church is notorious for the many misunderstandings of the Spirit and the many ways that they abused one another and blamed it on the Spirit. 
There's so many, so much of 1 Corinthians is written to address these misunderstandings and these misapplications and misuses of an understanding of the Holy Spirit. And yet, what's so interesting about 1 Corinthians is that Paul does not say, he does not say, ignore the Spirit. I'm sorry I ever told you about the Spirit. I should have never even brought him up. He doesn't say that. Paul never says, stop, when he's addressing their misunderstandings and misuses. He says, do everything decently and in order, but pursue spiritual gifts. and Pursue manifestations of the Spirit for the edification of the church, for the building up of the body. So, we need to learn a little bit more about the Holy Spirit. Let's start here in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Who is the Holy Spirit? 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. It says, Now the Lord is the Spirit. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is. You notice that language? I think that is just endlessly fascinating. The Lord is the Spirit, and the Spirit of the Lord. The Lord is the Spirit of the Lord, and the Lord has a Spirit. See that? That's what the, the Spirit of the Lord means. So the Lord is the Spirit, and the Spirit is of the Lord. Look at the end of verse 18. Uh, Paul says, we're, we're being transformed into the image of Jesus from one degree of glory to another, and this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. The Lord is the, the Spirit is the Lord, the Spirit is God, but he is also, the Spirit is also the Spirit of God. There's a couple places in Scripture that talk about Jesus this way and also the Spirit. It's ways to affirm, without fully explaining, the, the mystery of the Trinity, the tri-personal God that we worship. That the Father is God, the Son is God, the Spirit is God. And yet the Son is of the Father, and the Father is of the Son, and, and the Spirit is of the Father and the Son. So they are separate, but they are together. And I think here's the big takeaway for us. Here's what Paul's making use of this uh, how, how we should understand what he's doing with this information. He says, where the, the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. And we're all with unveiling faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, being transformed into that image. And then he emphasizes again, for this comes about from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And I think the emphasis that Paul is making here, and the, the, the teaching he's giving us, is that what the Spirit does is what God does. What the Spirit does is what God is doing. This transformation work, this freedom work, comes about from the Lord who is the Spirit. Now, what the Spirit does is what God is doing. And so while they are separate persons, they are not in any way in tension, in conflict, in divergence. There is a unity of design and purpose and activity between all the persons of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. They are not in silos in different administrations of the business, running different operations. The Spirit is doing what God is doing. So we talk a lot about uh, how the earth is going to be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord like the waters cover the sea. And we, want, we want to know the glory of the Lord. If you want to know the glory of the Lord better, you're going to have to meet every person of God. You're going to have to get to know each of the persons of God better. For example, by, by knowing the work of the Spirit, we are going to better understand the heart of the Father. We're going to better understand the mind of Christ because what the Spirit is doing is what is on the Father's heart 
and is what is in the Son's mind. So if we want to know the glory of the Lord, we have to get to know the Holy Spirit of God better. We asked at the beginning, why is the Spirit so important for the Christian life? And I think the answer from Scripture and from 2 Corinthians is that the Spirit is so important because God does all that He does for us through the work of the Holy Spirit. Everything that God wants to do in in your life and mine, and everything that we want God to do in our lives, He's going to do through the work of the Spirit. All right, so what are some of the things that the Spirit does? Let's look here, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We have just a couple of verses, but they, they're filled with some helpful instruction. Verse 3, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3, 3, that you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. A letter from Christ with the Spirit of God written on human hearts. He goes on in verse 6 and says, God has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. What does the Spirit do? So just based on these few verses, we can answer that question this way. What the Spirit does is the Spirit gives life by writing Christ on hearts. The Spirit gives life by writing Christ on hearts. So first of all, the Spirit, the Spirit does the work. The Spirit does the work of giving life. We want, to, we want to receive life. We want to give life. We want to improve our lives and improve the lives of the people around us. That is the work of the Spirit. You and I do work. We try things. But we do not do the work. The work is giving life. And there is one who does that work. The Spirit gives life. This is what the Spirit does. We serve, the Spirit does. This is a very important thing to keep in mind as we go about our lives. What do you want to do? I want to do this. I want to help them. I'm going to serve that, but the Spirit has to do that. The second thing is that the Spirit gives life in Christ. I think it's so interesting, the the image that Paul uses in verse 3, that you're a letter from Christ. You're a letter written by the Spirit of the living God on hearts. It's it's sort of this, this mixing of metaphors and images. And I think what Paul's saying here is that the Spirit writes Christ on the lives, on the hearts of the Corinthian church. But what we know for certain is that this is the Spirit's work of giving them Christ. So the Spirit gives life, the Spirit gives Christ, which makes sense. I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. I am life. So if the Spirit's going to give us life, the Spirit's got to give us Christ. But I think that the way that the Spirit is described as doing this is so fascinating here. That the Spirit writes Christ, is this message of Christ written on our hearts. This means that every single one of us is born with a gap in our hearts. There's a gap in our narrative understanding of ourselves and of the world. There's a, there's a, there's a chapter missing that is only filled by the message of Christ. We talk about a God-shaped hole in our hearts. I think it's, 
It's a Christ-shaped chapter missing from the story of our lives, is how Paul describes it here. Our stories, our understanding of our stories is not complete. Our understanding of ourselves and who we are and where we've been and where we are and where we're going is not complete without Christ. They're incomplete stories. You ever ask a, like a really little kid, uh, tell me a story. I got a doll. That's not a story. <laughs> That's a terrible story. That's not a story. Come on. What's tell me a story. I like candy. Okay, that is not, that's not a story. We do the same thing, though. Tell me a little bit about yourself. Oh, I graduated from Harvard. That's not a story. Tell me, tell me about yourself. Oh, I was abused and now I'm addicted. That's not a story. Tell me about yourself. I like money and fast cars. Also, this is not a story, right? These are incomplete stories. These are bad stories. We need Christ and his story to be inserted into our lives for our lives to be complete, for our stories to be made satisfying. I was abused and then I was addicted, but then I got over it and now I'm killing it at work and I'm making lots of money and doing all the things that I want and I'm still empty inside. But then I meet Jesus where I hear the message of God's forgiveness and the gift of the Spirit and the hope of eternal life and, and the power for today and the hope for tomorrow. And, and now I'm changed. And now I'm no longer living for myself. I'm living for others and for God. It, right? it's, a, it's a whole different thing. It, that's a story. That's a story. And that's what the Spirit does. The Spirit gives us Christ, not just like, hey, here's Christ, but here's a story that is going to make your story complete. And that's what Jesus, that's what the Spirit does through Jesus and what Jesus wants to be. Not just facts about the person, but the telling of his story and integrating it into the last thing that the Spirit does, into our hearts. Because the Spirit works on hearts. And I just want to point out, perhaps this is obvious, but the difference between the Spirit and you and me. We are interested in morality. We're interested in life hacks. Do this. Stop doing that. We need less of this. We need more of that. Hey, you just, need to, you just need to sleep more. You just need to sleep less. You just need to work harder. You just need to work a little bit less. Right? We're interested in these sort of life hacks. We're interested in outside-in reform because that's all that we have access to. We can tweak the outside I can adjust my schedule. I can adjust my diet. I can adjust my attire. I can change the feng shui of my house and hope that somehow some kind of transformation is going to occur, and it's not going to occur. But the Spirit doesn't do that. The Spirit goes right to the heart of the thing. He goes to the place of transformation. The Spirit goes to motives, the things that are in our hearts. Why are we doing what we do? The Spirit goes to the wounds that we carry. The Spirit goes to the desires. And the Spirit takes them from one thing to the other and everything changes. So the Spirit works on hearts, the real place of transformation. So these are kind of the three big things that the Spirit does. And then there's two other things that I want to point out here, which I find really helpful and are really uh, important to the Second Corinthians situation. And not only does the Spirit do the work, the Spirit gives life in Christ, the Spirit works in hearts, but the Spirit uses ministers. This is what he says in verse 6, that God has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant, to be ministers of the Spirit, 
who gives life. Now, the Spirit does whatever the Spirit wants to do, right? Because the Lord is the Spirit. And what the Spirit has decided to do is to use you and me. To use human servants. This is very important, though. What kind of people does the Spirit use? The Spirit uses people who recognize the first three points. that Those are their operating principles. People who understand that it's the Spirit who gives life and does the work, that it's the Spirit who gives Christ, and it's Christ that we need, and that it's the Spirit who can work in hearts. Those who understand those three things, the Spirit loves to use. Because they understand who's doing the, the work. They understand the kind of work that needs to be done and where the work needs to go. So the Spirit uses ministers as well. But it's not just the Holy Spirit and His ministers out there, is it? We saw in chapter 11, verse 4 last week, that uh, some, some people are coming to the Corinthian church and proclaiming another Jesus than the one we proclaimed and receiving a different spirit than the one that they had received when Paul visited them. So not only is there this spirit, the Corinthians also teaches us that there are other spirits impersonating the Holy Spirit. Ugh, what are we going to do? How are we going to know the difference between the Holy Spirit and these other spirits? The Corinthians were fooled by it. Well, I think in part, what we've just learned here in 2 Corinthians 3 is instructive. These other spirits, these impersonating spirits can be discerned because their servants depart from these first three points. They focus on things like our works. They focus on things like our morality and our performance, on our, our external signs. If you just did this more, if you just had more of this, God would bless you. If you just would stop doing this, you would be a place that the Spirit can use. If you would just give more, if you would just do more, if you would just change the way you look and the way you act, then God would use you. That's not what the Spirit's interested in. The Spirit's working in hearts to give us life in Christ. Another thing is that these impersonating spirits and their ministers, they give comfort or they give judgment, but not attached to Christ. So they give comfort or judgment. You're here, you're good. See that? There's no Christ in that. You've come to church this morning, God bless you. You're good people. You're, you know, you're giving, if you're giving, God's going to, they're giving comfort, but not attached to what Jesus has done. Or they're giving judgment. Those people out there are so bad. Why are they bad? Because they don't believe in the Son of God? No, because they're doing things that we don't like. So they're giving judgment or comfort, but not attached to who Jesus is. This is a way to discern this. I actually just heard a story this last week of a guy who, this is back in the 60s and 70s, so, I, you know, you guys who were there for this time, uh, I know it was sort of an anything-goes kind of season, but he was describing his experience at Harvard Divinity School. And on Easter morning, he goes to the chapel for an Easter service. And in the Easter service, the, the rector, the preacher, stands up and he says, well, today's as good a day as any to let you know that... Uh, I'm no longer going to be preaching from the Bible. I've, I've bought into uh, transactional analysis, which is, you remember it best by the slogan, I'm okay, you're okay? 
So this is going to be my message now for the rest of my time here with you. And, uh, and hopefully, you know, basically the implication is hopefully this will work since the Bible and God doesn't seem to be doing whatever it is that I... So you're okay, comfort, but not attached to anything Christ has done. That's just an example of this sort of thing. That's, another, that's a different kind of spirit. That is not the Holy Spirit. All right, so when the Spirit works, what happens when the Spirit works? We see this in our verses here. The Spirit gives life in verse 6. In verses 17 and 18, the, the Spirit gives freedom. There is freedom there, and we are being transformed. In chapter 13, verse 14, the very end of 2 Corinthians, there's this litany of what the Father does and the Spirit does, and it says, and may you be blessed with the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit brings us into fellowship, and then we see here, chapter 3, verse 8, uh, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? The Spirit brings us into a place of real glory, real life, real freedom, real transformation, real fellowship, an experience of real glory. And these are just a selection of things that the Spirit does. I mean, it's big, right? Life and glory, there's kind of everything is a subset of that. But I want you to just think, whatever it is that, that we want, that we hope for and need and are praying for, whatever that is, is what the Spirit wants to do. And everything that the Spirit wants to do is the stuff that you and I need. We need all that the Spirit is doing. And what we long for, that, that experience of real glory, where you see something extraordinary and it changes you into its image and you become more glorious as a result, that's what is being described here. You're going to behold Jesus and his glory in such a way that that glory is going to hit you and you're going to be changed. And now you're going to be more, you're going to be a glorious version of you because you're going to be more Christ-like. That is the work that the Spirit wants to do and is doing in us. There's one other thing that happens that Paul uh, talks about twice, and so I want to emphasize this this morning. Look back with me at chapter 1, verse 22. Chapter 1, verse 22, this is in the context of verse 20, where Paul says that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. So this is, the promises of God are yes in Jesus. And now in verse 22, Paul says, God has put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. You got a footnote there? What's the footnote say? Down payment, right? Or pledge. Now look at chapter 5, verse 3. See the same, same language. I'm sorry, chapter 5, verse 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing. We should probably find out what that is. Look at verse 4. While we are still in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. He's talking about our ultimate glorification here. That comes about when Christ returns or we go to be with him. Now verse 5. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee that that swallowing up with life experience that we look forward to and long for, we have the Spirit as a guarantee, as a pledge, as a down payment. The Spirit, in other words, works to secure our sense that God's promises are sure 
and that the hope that we have from Jesus is going to come to pass. The Holy Spirit, the work that he does, gives us a sense of security in God's promises and in that hope. We have an experience of freedom. You probably have in your story some experience of, of Christ setting you free from something or Christ transforming you in some way or Christ bringing you into a sense of fellowship and, and togetherness or an experience of this glory that we're describing. You have some kind of experience like that, but it is not, what, it is not all that you hope it would be, is it? It's still a struggle. It's still frustrating. You're not where you're going to be where God has promised you'll be, but you have a little bit of it. You have more than you would have had otherwise, but you don't have all that you want or all that you've been promised. And the Spirit is that guarantee, that down payment. We'll talk a little bit more about that in just a moment. So this is uh, some things about the Spirit. Now let's kind of incorporate this into our life. How do we understand this for our lives Lessons for our lives, life with the Spirit. First of all, we need to include the Spirit in our understanding of God. And this might be really obvious to you, but I think that most of us go through life uh, kind of like that, those Ephesians disciples. We, we have heard that there's a Holy Spirit, but we live in such a way that it doesn't seem like it. We need to include the Spirit in our idea of who God is. Like one, one benefit of this, just one, <clears throat> there's many, many, many. One benefit is that if the Spirit is working in my heart, this helps me understand that, that God is attentive to and concerned for and engaged with me personally. With each one of us, the Lord God is concerned and engaged and paying attention to each one of us. See, in Jesus, we come to understand that God so loved the world, right? God so loved the world. This is, a, this is great news. He doesn't just love the Jews. He just doesn't love good people. He loves everybody. The Spirit, though, now, the Spirit takes the love of God and brings it into our hearts. My heart, your heart. So the Spirit helps us to see that the Father loves me, that Jesus loves me. The Spirit helps us understand the love of God better. That it's not just for me in general, like me because everybody, but me in particular. Because the Lord has interest and work in my life, in my heart. So we need to include the Spirit in our understanding of who God is. We need to involve the Holy Spirit in, we need to involve ourselves in what the Holy Spirit is doing. This should have been a separate slide. I didn't kind of put all that together till this morning. We need to involve ourselves in what the Holy Spirit is doing because it's the Holy Spirit is working the works that we're praying to see happen. What do you want to see happen? That's what the Spirit is at work on. Right? When what we want to see happen is we want to see Christ be written on people's hearts. We want to see people's stories be changed and filled in so that they're not just defined by their likes and dislikes and by their pain and their aspirations and whatever they pick about themselves and their identity. We want them to be defined by what Christ has done for them, what God has done for them in Jesus. That's what we want. We want that for ourselves. Get out of myself and get into the story of Jesus and get into what God is doing in my life. And that's what we want for other people. And therefore, 
Since this is what the Spirit is doing, the Spirit is working the works that we're praying to see happen, we should, we should live our lives, we should act in faith. Because we know that the Spirit is at work. And what would you do differently if you believed that the Spirit was at work in your life? The Spirit is at work in your life. So act differently. We should always pray and we should always work. We should live like the Spirit is. Have you heard that there's a Holy Spirit? We should live like the Spirit is and that the Spirit is at work. Now as soon as we start talking about the Spirit, I think a lot of us get a kind of a reluctance here, right? This makes... Like everybody's got a father... And a lot of people can understand Jesus. He was a guy. And then we start talking about the Spirit. Everybody's like, okay, hang on. Fathers we get. Dudes we get. Spirits. I don't know. You want to live by the Spirit? (laughs) Makes us uncomfortable. And yet, what Paul is describing here is that Trying to live the Christian life without an awareness of the Spirit is silly. Why is the Spirit so important for the Christian life? Because God does all that He does for us through the work of the Spirit. So not only the Spirit works the works, we need to involve ourselves in what the Holy Spirit is doing, we also need to involve the Holy Spirit in what we are doing. Because the Spirit is God's most precious gift. I got my grandpa this really cool pocket knife. Like, you know, I'm a kid, a young, a young adult, and, and I see this at Sam's Club, and I think, oh, my grandpa would love it. He's always carrying around these beat up old pocket knives, and they're all, you know, he needs a new one, and this is just like the ones that he uses, and so I got it for him for Christmas, and I was so pumped, and he kept it in its tin, in its wrapping, or not in the wrapping, in the package, on his shelf, uh, until he passed. <laughs> Look, I mean, I don't give a lot of gifts, so it was like the best gift I'd ever given my grandfather, and he never took it down and used it. He never got it involved in his life. The Spirit is God's most precious gift to you and me. Don't leave it up in his packaging on the shelf, collecting dust. Get it down, open it up, and bring the Holy Spirit into your life. The Spirit's work, remember what Paul said, he calls it the guarantee, the down payment? It is the Spirit's work is the down payment of heaven. I'm not saying the Spirit, just the Spirit, but the, the, what the Spirit is doing in our lives is the down payment of heaven. God's saying, here's a little bit of what will be all. You know that little sense of freedom that you get thanks to the Spirit? Someday you're going to be set free. You know that little experience of transformation? How you're different than you were as a young adult? You're different than you used to be? That is going to be, someday you're going to be made all new. What Here's a little of what will be all. You know, the, the whole thing, right? All the promises of God are yes for you and me because of Jesus. The whole thing has been purchased. And it has been purchased and given to us 
But until you take full possession of it, God's saying, here's a key. You don't need the key to own it. You don't even need the key to get into it. But here's the key as a reminder to keep in step with the Spirit, to to stick close to the Spirit, because the Spirit is the key, putting you in mind of all that you have. You know, when I forget, when I forget the Spirit, when I forget that there is a Holy Spirit, I find myself underwater with anxiety, with doubts, with discouragement and despair. But when I remember that the Spirit exists, I'm immediately okay. Oh yeah, the Spirit of God. Okay. You know, imagine that, that there's a guy who owns this great, huge palatial estate but he goes out he goes out one night he goes out drinking and he gets drunk and he he gets sucked back into alcohol abuse and he's he's just at the bar all day every day and now he can't find his key right so so but in his in his alcohol addled condition he feels like i lost my key i'll never i'm I'm lost i'm never going to find my place again They probably sold it and given it to somebody else. I don't deserve to be there. He feels lost. He feels homeless. He feels... All of a sudden, he's just right. He's just living on the bottle, on the street. And that's us when we forget the Spirit. That's us when we forget the Spirit. We're just soaked in the world and inebriated by the world and living as if we don't have this extraordinary thing waiting us. And this extraordinary gift with us. The Corinthian church is notorious in church history for the way that they misunderstood the Holy Spirit and for the way that they abused each other in the name of the Spirit. And yet Paul does not turn away. He does not say, stop paying attention to the Spirit. He says, give more close attention to the work of the Spirit in your life. Because we need to know We need to know the Spirit. So, on this uh, Pentecost Sunday, remembering the pouring out of the Spirit in Acts 2, friends, let's, let's involve ourselves in the Spirit. Let's seek to get the Spirit involved in our lives. Because we know that there's a Holy Spirit. So let's live like it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word this morning. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Lord Jesus, we thank you for doing all that you did and then sitting down at the right hand of the Father and from there pouring out the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. And Father, we thank you for pouring into our hearts your love through the Holy Spirit whom you've given us. We thank you for giving us life through the Holy Spirit, for giving for writing Christ on our hearts through the Holy Spirit, for, for transforming us and making us new through the work of your Spirit. And so, Lord, we pray that you would help us to walk with the Spirit, to keep in step with the Spirit, to live by the Spirit. And Holy Spirit, we pray that you would work in our lives in such a way that we become more aware of you, we see you more regularly, and we give glory to the Father and to the Son because of it. 
our hearts are in line, thanks to your work, with your heart, that we want to see God glorified. We want to know his glory better. We want to give praises to our Lord Jesus more. And so, Holy Spirit, would you come and would you work? Would you set us free? Would you give us life? Would you transform us into the image of Christ? Would you bring us into true fellowship with you and with one another? And we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.